It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you on this evening? I'm doing excellent, Steve. How are you doing? Really good. The feedback we've been getting from the Kevin Anderson episode has been great. He was an amazing guest, didn't you think? I thought so, yeah. I love talking to Kevin. We should talk to him about all his books. Yeah, sure. I mean, he has a lot of books, so that would be a lot of episodes right there. (laughs) We could keep this podcast going indefinitely, just talking about his books. As long as he puts Rush references in the books, then we can (laughs) talk to him about the books. That's right. But today we're going to get back to Hold Your Fire, which our listeners have been clamoring for. Yes, there has been a clamor. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, you know who that is, Jer. It's Lex. It's Lex. He's amazing as usual, and I know you got an email to get us started, Jer. Let's hear it. Of course. Uh, This is from Rob. What's up, Rob? He says, I discovered the podcast in spring 2021, and I'm pleased to say that I am now the proud listener of all 144 episodes to date. Wow, cool. While it's taken me over a year to catch up, I can't tell you how much the podcast has meant to me. During these challenging times, I so look forward to tuning in to feel a part of the larger Rush community. I love listening to your witty banter with Steve. He's, he's directing that at me. Oh, I'm the one with the witty banter. That's nice. Your collective insight into the band and the fantastic guests that have joined you on the podcast. When Neil died, I thought something must be wrong with me. A grown man crying over losing someone he never met. But in listening to the podcast that aired immediately after and to the many others since, I realized that I was not alone. To me, like so many others in the amazing Rush community, Neil was an inspiration and a life coach. He provided the soundtrack to my life, and I am a better person because of him and the band. To this day, I continue to find perspective and inspiration through listening to not only the Rush catalog, but now the podcast as well. Oh, nice. I'd like to share a somewhat unusual Rush origin story as it features Casey Kasem. Oh, cool. This is definitely the first Casey Kasem related Rush origin story. I first heard Tom Sawyer while playing basketball at a friend's house. The sound was something I'd never heard before, but admittedly, I wasn't immediately hooked. Then I saw Rush shirts and hats everywhere in my middle school. It's embarrassing to admit, but I was a top 40 pop music geek. If it wasn't on Billboard's American Top 40 Countdown, it couldn't be good. So I struggled to understand how this Rush band was so popular. Then October 9th, 1982, debuting at 33, was the Canadian trio calling themselves Rush. It was New World Man. Maybe because the song was more accessible to my pop music trained ears. Maybe it was my yearning for something new, something meaningful. In any case, I was hooked. Later that beautiful fall morning on a rare family trip from Syracuse to Lake Placid, I fervently turned the radio dial on my blue Sanyo boombox to hard rock stations. I was rewarded a few miles outside of Old Forge when New World Man came through my headphones. I loved it even more. When we returned home, the dial was tuned to rock album-oriented 95X with tape cassette at the ready. A few weeks later, Rush was featured on the King Biscuit Flower Hour and I had nearly 60 minutes on tape. I like the idea of him just having a, the tape in the tape cassette ready to record Rush at any second. It's amazing. It really is. Just considering how easy it is to find music now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the Twilight Zone through headphones blew my 13-year-old mind. When I could later afford it for my paper route earnings, I started buying cassettes, working my way through the collection. I never looked back. Rush has been my band ever since that day in October of 1982, and I was privileged to see them on every tour from Hold Your Fire to R40. While there are so many great moments, the highlight 
was a front row seat for R30 at the band's inaugural Red Rocks performance. Wow. I relive that magical evening often. Keep up the great work and thanks again for the magnificent podcast. Now that I'm caught up, I look forward to Mondays. And when you're next in Colorado, lunch is on me. Yes. <sighs> we should really, <laughs> I really should keep, be keeping some kind of ledger of, of those people who are going to buy us lunch. We could just take a year off and just get free lunch every day for a year. That's right. I just think it's amazing. You know, you think about talking to young people now, you sound like an old man. You know, when I was a kid, we used to have to wait for the song to come on the radio so we could record it on our cassette deck. Right. <laughs> and if you had a cassette in there and you recorded a song, you had to make sure you stopped it right at the end of that yeah. song if you were going to record another one. And everybody did it, didn't they? Yeah, I did it. I used to do it to MTV. I used to hold the oh cassette God. player up to M up to the TV. Yeah, and I used to wait for videos to come on MTV or uh, U68 for those U68. of us here in the New York area, right? U68, right. and I'd have the VHS set for it. Right. And I lost all those VHS tapes, and I thought it was the worst thing in the world, and now I would have nothing to play them on anyway. <laughs> That's right. They probably look terrible. Thanks so much for the email. Appreciate you listening. So, Jared, we're back to Hold Your Fire today, as I mentioned, and track seven, which is Mission. I watch their images flicker to help us break down mission we're happy to welcome back one of our favorite guests author of rush faq max mobley welcome back to the rush fancast thank you steve thank you jerry you know i love being on the show you know i love you guys thanks so much we love you and we'd like to start out with a quote from neil this is from the book traveling music it seemed like we'd always known what we wanted to do but i decided to write a song from that point of view not as someone who already had a mission, but someone who was searching for one, or mm. if not actively searching, at least waiting, and praising great works of art, music, books, painting, architecture, and movies, the narrator of the verses says, I wish I had that instinct. I wish I had that drive. The chorus celebrates the heroes. Spirits fly on dangerous missions, imaginations on fire. Then in the middle eight section, I pulled the focus back to the struggle and suffering some of those artists had gone through to live their lives and produce their works. If their lives were exotic and strange, they would likely have gladly exchanged them for something a little plain, maybe something a little more sane. I've been thinking of people like Vincent Van Gogh, Virginia Woolf, or F. Scott Fitzgerald, people who lost themselves in the struggle for their art. And we start there, Max, your thoughts. We could stop there. Like that, that just says it all. <laughs> That's right. 
You know, um, it's interesting that you say that because, and I, as I mentioned before we started, this is one of my all-time favorite Rush songs, period. So the fact that I get to talk about this song with you guys is great. It's also Hold Your Fire, or as I tried to kick off calling it the Red Album, which didn't stick. <laughs> didn't catch on. <laughs> but it's one of my favorite Rush albums, especially from the heavy synth era. What you just said answers a couple questions for me that I had, uh, and it does sum up, I think, absolutely what he's feeling and there's touches of limelight in there i think there's touches of losing it in there you know these people who had it and lost it and also the people that think it's just great to be a rock star or to have your dreams come true but as he says at the end you know uh we each pay a fabulous price right for our our visions of paradise i always thought it was a, a very personal song but again hearing neil talk about it obviously he's he has a narrator in mind but it obviously feels very personal considering, you know, the kind of life that big rock stars have. It isn't the, always the greatest life in the world, being on the road and being away right. from your family, first to record an album and then being on the road and everything in between. You know, you, you spend a lot of your time dedicated to your art at the expense of maybe, you know, a normal kind of life. Yeah. I fully agree, and I'm always in a little bit of awe with people who are fine not pursuing some lofty goal. Like I've, you know, I'm in my 50s, and I still consider the job that pays my bills as a day job. And I'm still <laughs> wanting to be like, you know, the musician. I'm like, okay, come on, that ship has sailed, Max. But but you know, still wanting to have those. I still have those visions of being a quote unquote rock star or a, or a very successful writer where I, that's all I need to do. So there's a pain that comes with that. I love the line. If their lives were exotic and strange, they would likely have gladly exchanged them for something a little more plain, maybe something a little more sane. So part of Neil, I think wishes he could have just had a normal day job like everybody else and not had to deal with all the touring that he dealt with. Yeah. I fully agree. I think that is in this song, and it's also in Limelight, that, you know, he, obviously he did what he loved and what he was meant to do, but he didn't want the trappings. He, you know, shunned the trappings of, of fame and the trappings of rock stardom and all that stuff and made it work somehow, but it still came at a, at a price. And one of the things that you just mentioned in your initial quote I wanted to touch on because it always confused me where the two lines, I wish I had that instinct. I wish I had that drive. And I'm like, Neil of all people has the instinct and has that drive. So mm -hmm. it was so confusing to me. Right. I, I always wondered that too. So obviously that's why the, that's where the narrator part comes in, right? It's someone else. Yeah. But you know, the interesting thing about the song is that even though it ends with, you know, we each pay a fabulous price for our vision of paradise. It also, the, the lines after that, but a spirit with a vision is a dream with a mission there's still the part where he's saying you know that dreams are definitely worth dreaming definitely worth doing definitely worth putting action to so you can make something that you want to make even though you know these other people might have had a hard time with it and with fame and everything that comes with it or maybe got too obsessed with what they were doing you know he's still saying you should go for what you want to go for yeah, I, I sense a call to action in right. this song, and it is that marriage of manifesting your dreams or manifesting your ambition, and it takes the energy 
and the commitment and the drive and all those things. Because as you know, and I've guilty of myself many a time where you can just sit on a couch and just fantasize about these things. And successful people did that as well, but then they got off the couch and did something about it. <laughs> right. Before we get into the music on this song specifically, Max, I wanted to get your opinion on Alex's guitar work on this record in general. A lot of people say Alex disappears on this record, but I disagree. He plays such an impactful part on every song and especially this one. What are your thoughts on that? 100% agree with you. It's some of my favorite Alex Lifeson guitar work is on this album, is on Power Windows. Presto 2, which obviously was a lot less synthy, but uh, same era. But yeah, it's his stuff is critical to these songs working, which is always, you could say that on, on all the Rush songs. But his, you know, he was dinged for his tone because he went to a solid state rig and it was a cleaner, brighter, more attacky guitar tone, not that heavy martial British hard rock sound, but that's what he needed to cut through all those synths, right? So he figured that out. And some of his best lines are in this actual song like that. There's that dun, 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 which is just has this hopeful, that little riff he repeats in the verses that has just so much hope and is sort of almost anthemic in its way of like, you're going to make it. And then the solo at the end of the song is the opposite. It is, it's kind of forlorn and melancholy because there's a sadness in, in, in the story of, of these lyrics here that you pointed out. And he captures that super, super well. And actually, before we got on here, I listened to the Snakes and Arrows live version of Mission. And he plays the solo out more because it fades on the record, of course, the studio record. And it's just ah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I think that I, when we talked about a show of hands and we talked about this song in particular, I think that the that that section right after or right during the guitar solo and then right after the guitar solo where they're all just kind of going nuts and then it kind of like builds up, builds up and just fades out to just the keyboards. I stack that moment up against any classic 70s Rush musical figure in all of their discography. I think it's just amazing to hear that live. It's just such an amazing kind of, you know, 10 seconds or whatever when it, yeah. they just are jamming out. 100%. It's angular and it's kind of broken into weird places. Like you wouldn't expect the stops to be where they put them. It's obviously crazy tight, you know, great drum fills. And it's just the whole thing is magic. Like you say, I was listening to that a lot today because that's always been one of my favorite parts of the song and i thought if you had it's like a 30 second section yeah. if you only could play 30 seconds to somebody and say this is what rush is that's probably the 30 seconds i would pick but then the transition to the next part it's cold comfort to the ones without it i mean it just goes from that crazy triple solo that they're doing and then the keyboards right. come in and getty's emotional vocals just a great transition yeah it's a goosebump moment it is a song you know as you know i cry easy uh, especially <laughs> talking about rush with you guys um but i also cry at jim carrey movies let's be honest <laughs> and not just the bad ones um but uh but this is a, one of those songs and that's that section especially after all that intensity and that manicness and great musicianship and then they just bring it down to those haunting kind of choir synth patch chords and those lines, it's called comfort to the ones without it, to know how they struggled, how they suffered about it. 
how's that not break your heart? Right. Because you have, you have all of the action and all of the passion up until that point. And then when it stops and the keyboards just come in and he says those lines, you know, it changes the tenor of the song and the song itself changes. It's just, it's, I love when, <laughs> I love yeah. when Rush does that. It's so incredible how they can match the lyrics and the music so perfectly. Completely agree. And Alex too matches it note for note in his emotion that comes out in his playing. Tells the story of the song. I've got one more quote for you guys. This is from Contents Under Pressure. I was surprised to hear about this. This is Getty talking about Mission. He says it's a song Peter Collins, who was the producer of Hold Your Fire, just loved. And at some point in Britain, when we were working on it, he really wanted to do what he called the full Monty, put orchestra and choir on it. There's a particular sound of an English brass band, which is something he grew up and had a feel for. And he tracked down one in North England and he wanted them to play on the track. They were working so hard on the record. And this is the weekend when the band was unavailable. We're all supposed to fly up there to record them. And we just said, look, Pete, you go, you know what you want. And we're pooped. Why don't you go record them? And this will be a treat for you. So they just trusted Peter Collins to go ahead and do that on his own. They had nothing to do with it, which I found incredible. A lot of courage there. Yeah. That's amazing how much they, they trusted him on these albums then to hear that. I mean, and it sounds so amazing, right? It's a great sounding record. That's another thing that makes me love some rush records over others is just the mix and the, the, the quality of the recording. And this one's right up there. You know, Getty has, I think he's playing a wall bass, W A L amazing bass tone, you know, Neil's drums are right where they should be and they just pop and just snap. And then, you know, the synth, I never felt any of their songs were buried by synth, except maybe Signals, which we've talked about. There's some interesting mixed challenges there, I think, that that uh, Terry Brown had. But on this album, everything's right where it belongs and it all just comes together perfectly. Like, it's also not just a clinic on a great Rush album and, and Alex is playing and and what it means to be Rush, and and also the lyric content, because Neil was, I think, writing some of his best lyrics at this point. But I think it's also sort of a clinic on how to mix a record, a rock record, with a lot of synth. And judging by the fact that they brought this song back so many times live, they were thrilled with this song and just loved performing it. It's anthemic. It, it absolutely, it, it hits the highs and then comes back and hits those lows like Jerry talked about. Yeah, I, I don't look at set lists before I went to a Rush show. I, I wanted to be surprised. But boy, when I ever heard those two chords come in for this song, I was just super stoked. Do you remember they played it, obviously they played it on the Hold Your Fire tour. When did they next bring it out? Do you remember? I know it was Snakes and Arrows because that was, I remember seeing it. In fact, they might have done it on Time Machine as well or... And I think maybe Clockwork Angels, but I know I was when they, they played it early on one of the tours because I had a photo pass and was taking pictures with my crappy little camera. And I'm like, I'm missing the song <laughs> because you're like, you know, you're in the, you're in that hurricane of a rush concert there at the front, you know, next to the stage, you know, snapping away, trying to get all this done and Josh, Jocelyn, Jocelyn for position. Uh, and I'm like, but I want to hear this song. I don't want to be doing anything but listening and watching. <laughs> 
And it's not just Alex that shined on this song. The bass line on this song is incredible. And Neil's drum work on this song is incredible. It's just a masterpiece, really, by Rush. Yeah. Probably the best song on the album. What do you guys think? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. I, I love Time Stand Still. I love Turn the Page. I love Mission. I love Force 10. That's a, t- that's a tough call. That's a tough one. Open Secrets is one of my favorites as well. Absolutely. That Well, yeah, I mean... Oh, I don't know. I can't say that. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It's so, it's so hard. For me, it's probably my personal favorite. But like I say, I put this in my top 10 Rush songs of all time, maybe my top five. Well, let me say this. It would be my favorite Rush song from this album to see them perform live. I'll say that for sure. And I like seeing all these, you know, the Hold Your Fire songs live, same with the Power Window songs live because there was more guitar in the mix and it was just a little more aggressive because it's live, you know, uh, studio, he, you know, Alex used his, I think it was the Hentor caster, which he's auctioning off that sort of super Stratocaster kind of guitar that was, was custom made for him, which was a bright guitar that he needed for the album. But live, he played his Les Paul Ray Les Paul. And, and it just has that more chunkier Les Paul vibe, which on the solos just soars. Well, Max, thanks so much for joining us today to discuss Mission. It was a true pleasure having you back. We always love to talk to you. You know that. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Thank you for patiently dealing with my bout of COVID and postponing this a couple times. And I'm, you guys are a good part of my recovery plan because I feel so much better having hung out with you guys for some time today. So thank you. So, Jared, like I said to Max, it's always a pleasure having him back on the podcast. He could be like a third host. He could. He could be your second host if I want to retire. <laughs> <laughs> if one of us quits, we know who to fill in. Max. That's right. He's great. He really is. Yeah, I love talking to him. And Mission. Everybody loves Mission, really. We, we yeah. really didn't have a problem finding someone to talk about Mission. Everybody wanted to talk about Mission. Everybody loves Mission. It's true. It is true. So track eight, Gerald, Hold Your Fire, of course, is Turn the Page. Looking at- So Jared, help us talk about Turn the Page. We couldn't think of anybody better than bassist for Why Why Not, Tim Staracci. The video that you did, the bass cover of Turn the Page in the Santa Claus outfit. Oh, shit, yeah. (laughs) That was unbelievable. That's what happens when all the grandkids are over and Grandpa is just wore out. He goes in his little room, still wearing his Santa outfit. (laughs) And uh, play some bass. That was a lot of fun. I remember that night. So before we get into Turn the Page, why don't you tell us what's up with Why Why Not? You guys have a, a new vocalist 
Do not? Yes, we do. The amazing Miss Patty Pershala from Michigan. Yeah, our old singer just like up and bailed on us. Like 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 the rent was due the next day and just <laughs> packed up everything and split. No, seriously. Totally left us hanging. You know, we had all these shows booked in California and over here on this coast and she just friggin' vapor locked and left us totally hanging. Oh man. Yeah, what are we going to do? And uh I had seen patty like a year before doing that like ukulele thing and singing anthem and like i do to most musicians that do something that i enjoy i had just messaged her out of the blue and said hey i really love what you're doing bada 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 keep it up rush on puff and that was it never thought nothing of it i never thought we'd be needing a vocalist and why why not and i couldn't think of anyone to do this stuff you know and uh i just called her up messaged her and said hey I know you don't know me, but you got anything planned for like the next month? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then she did it. Yeah. And not for nothing, it couldn't be the anything better happen to us than that. You know, she really brought a different vibe and energy to why, why not? She kills it. And, uh, you know, our popularity has like friggin' went through the roof because the band's just in a lot better place right now. Awesome. You know, we ended up talking to Patty on the podcast a couple of months ago yeah. and it was right before your show in Stroudsburg and she wasn't sure whether she was going to stay in why, why not or not. So can you reveal to us that she is now a permanent member of the band? She's temporarily permanent. <laughs> I can I say that, you know, I mean, you know, nobody's married here, you know, right. so, right. you know, we're just, we're just taking it day by day. There's no contracts. There's no, you know, right. She's seeing other bands. And so are we, you know, <laughs> we're doing all our thing. You know, she's got her thing. Billy's got his thing. I'm balls busy with Tech 21, you know. So we're just having fun, man, you know. And whatever happens, happens. But as it stands now, you know, we're, we're booking shows, you know, way up until the end of the year. So great. I know she'll great. be sticking around till at least September. <laughs> so let's talk about Turn the Page, Tim. Mm -hmm. The chords at the beginning of that song that was something new for getty at that time wasn't it yeah man you know just around that time you know i'm, I'm a rush fan right mm -hmm. and you know i love getty right i think we know that yeah but there are certain things that you know just didn't make my tiddly go wink you know and, and that synth era was but what always happened was like the song start off there's this killer bass stuff going man this song's killer 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 and then this big keyboard thing comes in and i, I kind of start heading towards the door and then i get dragged back in because he comes playing again so those albums in that era are so cool because i kind of walk away and then come back mm -hmm. and go god he's an animal the band's incredible this is just so it's really neat because it's it's something totally different than i normally dig but yeah, that whole, the droning of the string, did it, did it, did it, did it, you know, with the getting his thumb involved there. Getty got very syncopated and percussive in that era. You know, he uh, moved away from the melodic style that he had, you know, the melodic rock and roll style and got, uh, you know, like I said, percussive and syncopated and almost treated the bass like a percussive instrument. And then the wall, add that to the equation. It was just like the perfect storm. So it was like having to learn a whole new technique just to try to play some of that stuff. So to answer the original question, yeah, the beginning was unique. <laughs> so was that new technique 
because of the keyboards? Do you like how did the new technique for him come about? Well, I don't know. I don't. I, don't, I never asked him, but I, I think they were just getting into like a more like they were constantly evolving those those three kooky kids. You know, it's like this is great. This is the best thing ever. Hemispheres, and then what the hell is this? It signals, but it's great. <laughs> you know, it's just and then what? You know, power windows. You know. Everything they did was fantastic, but it was just, they were constantly like almost as if they were getting bored with what they were doing and they were, they were trying to beat their new personal best every album, you know, so they were just exploring different techniques and, and textures and it, it's really what got them to stick around for 40 years. I think, you know, they never got bored, you know, they're always doing something new. And when you get into the verse part of that song. There's such a cool, funky bass line that is so complicated. And watching you in that video, <laughs> yeah. it's like nothing to you. It's simple. It looks like it is the way you're playing it. How difficult is that? And why do you make it look so easy? Without appearing boastful, <laughs> it is very easy for me because I am just playing the bass. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Mr. Lee is, you know, playing the bass thinking about the sequence he's got to trigger, singing, you know. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's playing the bass. It's what I do, mm. you know. So I, I have this uncanny ability to emulate Getty. And, you know, it actually, it's a lot of fun. And I noticed when you were playing, I could be mistaken, but it seems as if you're playing the same type of, I don't know, figure or same sequence of notes, just slightly lower on the neck like two or three times in a row. Is that how the, the bass line goes? Just gets lower and lower on the neck? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, because there's a, there's a chord progression that occurs. So it's basically the same pattern, basically very loose. It's, it's a loose pattern that, you know, hits through three different root notes, I think, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, it, it's one of those really cool things where he just gets into that groove. You know, just and, and what's crazy about him is his accents are not where I would put the accents, you know. So it's always interesting for me to learn them. You know, like I can hear a Rush song and go, all right, I could play that, you know. 10 minutes i'm like all right this is cool and then i'm like okay but i have to learn it right because everyone will go no that's not the right note and this <laughs> guy sucks and the other guy's better and blah, whatever so i start digging into these things with my headphones and it's it's so cool it's like it's almost like listening to the albums when you were a kid like for the 400th time and you're like mm -hmm. holy shit i never heard that little bell you know right. well listen to that guitar scream i never heard that you know so you start for me it's almost like like reading a book when you're a kid and you're imagining what you're reading and about, you know, which is the beauty of reading, you know, where it's taking you away to another place. When I start digging into that stuff with the headphones on over and over, because sometimes I work on a song for like a whole day, you know, before I'll go out and do a little video. And it just seems like I get carried away in what my perception of what they were trying to portray. And it's really cool. I found an old interview with Getty from Bass Player Magazine, and he was talking about singing and playing bass at the same time, which is what you were referring to. He says, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. You have to put a lot of hours into practice. As a matter of fact, on this tour, I had a major problem with Turn the Page. 
It's a very busy bass part, and the vocal part doesn't really relate to it much. Eventually, I got it, but it took a lot of practice. So do you think you could sing? No. And play the way you play at the same time like Eddie does? Absolutely not. No. First off, I can't sing. So <laughs> that kind of squashed the whole thing. But no, man, you know, it's not something like, man, I can, I can kill it on the bass. I want to sing and play bass. You know, man, I never did it. You know, and, and this late in my career, if you want to call it a career, you know, no, man, I could never even, you know, my dad always used to say, don't do anything whole ass, half ass, do it whole ass instead. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I couldn't even attempt that because it, it would suck. You know, Getty's like a any singing bass player, you know, who's grooving. It, I marvel at them, like Doug Pinnock, but like, especially like a Getty, you know, it's like he's like got two brains, you know, one for his hands. Actually, maybe he's got three because he's doing the feet sometimes. Right. You know, it's just incredible. I swear in 1983 at Nassau Coliseum, I saw his eyes go this way. <laughs> Look at different directions. Yep. <laughs> He's an alien, not of this world, that guy. You know. In the same quote, he says, you have to split yourself, split your hands, See? split yourself in two, really, and let your hands do something and your voice do the other. Yeah. Sounds hard. So is that different than a guitar player then? Being able to sing and play guitar at the same time? I don't know. I, I, I don't play guitar. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not, not being very exciting tonight, man. I don't know now I'm just hang. curious if, the, if, there's some, if there's some function about playing the bass that makes it more difficult to like sing or do something else because it's not as, because it's, it's plucky and it's like accenty here and there. That's, that's an interesting question. I mean, I could see how that would be different rather than, you know, playing a rhythm, but you know, right. there's guitar parts. I, I see guitar players playing and singing like, I was just at a local venue with uh, an artist who wanted to check out our stuff, and the band was called uh, Power Glove, all right? They were just here at Dingbats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Power Glove and Immortal Guardian. And the guitar player, you want to talk about a freak of friggin' nature? He's like Steve Vai on the guitar, but mm-hmm. he's got a keyboard flat like this, and he's sitting there like this, playing the keyboard and friggin' shredding with one hand. You know, wow. in the most, look them up, Power Glove, the most immortal guardian, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. You know, they do like, uh, like Nintendo video game songs and shit. Oh, do they really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of neat. You know, immortal guardian is more a, uh, you know, like a, a, a rock band, you know, a metal band, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Shout out to those guys. So Tim, when you listen to rush, do you also think about the message behind the song now the message behind turn the page seems to be pretty simple don't dwell on the past move on and turn the page i mean is that is that something you think about when you're listening to rush or do you just enjoy the music more no a big part of listening to rush was the lyrics you know every album came with the lyrics you know and at the age when i discovered rush you know nine ten years old you know i was a sponge for books like most of us were then and uh it was just like the coolest thing and you know i'd be lying if i say you know listening to fountain of limnath and reading the words that i wasn't on that ship right you know seriously yeah. you know i could see it you know and uh stuff like that and you know like circumstances that was a very you know it, it meant a lot to me when i would 
I would picture him sitting in on a bed looking out the window, you know, wherever he was in Europe or, or stuff like that. But, but yeah, uh, the lyrics are a big part of the music to me, you know? Yeah, probably my favorite is the, the chorus, right? Every day we're standing in a time capsule racing down a river from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every day we're standing in a wind tunnel facing down the future coming fast. Yeah. Nothing can survive in a vacuum. That's my favorite. Yeah, nothing can survive in a vacuum. You can't be alone. Yeah. No man is an island. Right. Whenever I hear nothing can survive in a vacuum, I'm reminded of that far side cartoon where the guy is pushing a vacuum in a forest and underneath it, it just says, (laughs) he suddenly remembered that nature abhors a vacuum. (laughs) (laughs) So Tim, uh, you guys in why, why not don't play much rush from the synth era. Would you guys ever no. dip into something from Hold Your Fire, or is that a non-starter for you guys? Well, first off, I suck at keys, so no. And second, it's it's not our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's we're we're more of the the earlier era. You know what me and Billy cut our teeth on, and we just feel that the way we can do you know, the material from 1974 to 1983 is just as good as, as we're going to get. And that's what we enjoy. And there's plenty of other bands out there doing the later stuff, which is great, but you know, that's probably better suited for them. You know? Yeah. you you guys do more of the, the muscly stuff. Yeah. The meat and potatoes, the meat and potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave the gravy for the rest. <laughs> but when you come across a baseline like this, you almost can't not do a, a video like you did and just jam out to it, right? Mm-hmm. See, that's what happened. You know, like albums that I really don't listen to, like the later ones, I'll put them on while I'm doing something, and eventually I'm able to pick through and go, there it is, you know? There's something I can do. And then, you know, I'll latch on to like a little one-minute part, and then it's stuck in my head. My favorite part of the video is when there's no bass and you're just going like this with the, with the keyboard. <laughs> well, it was Christmas, man. <laughs> Maybe there was some nog involved. I don't know. <laughs> so, Tim, before we go, what's up next for Why Why Not? Any tour dates coming up in the United States? Oh, absolutely. We're booking like crazy. We'll be down in uh, Boca Raton at the Funky Biscuit, June 24th and 25th, two nights. Oh, nice. Practically sold out. If you want tickets, uh, whywhynotband.com. It's our website. We will be in Penn's Peak again in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, which is an incredible venue. You guys got to come out to a show when we're around here. We have to go to that one, Jared. Jim Thorpe is a really cool town, too. It is? That place is incredible. And then uh, we'll be in Atlantic City at one of the casinos down there which I've never done that before, which is pretty cool. And then we have some uh, Midwest dates and California. We just got a, another show at the Coach House, which we sold out last time in uh, San Juan Capistrino. Nice 500-seat hall. Fantastic. So that'll be another nice show. And uh, we're booking. And we're going to be uh, releasing some new stuff and revamp some old stuff. And uh, that's it. It's going to be rocking the hell out of 2022. Awesome. Well, I know we speak for all Rush fans and we appreciate everything you do with Why Why Not. Well, thank you. And your Rush covers. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk about Turn the Page. It was my pleasure. See you later, guys.
So, Joe, the favorite part for me on that interview is when I asked him if it was difficult for him to learn turn the page, and he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) He's so good. Turn the page is like nothing to him. Yeah, he's such a great bass player, and he is just so fun to talk to. Really great to talk to, and Why Why Not is just a fantastic band. They've got a new singer, but they haven't missed a beat, really. Yeah, I know. We definitely have to catch them. Oh, absolutely. We should go to that Jim Thorpe show we were talking about, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, definitely. It's not far from here. Jim Thorpe is a cool old town. Cool, but oddly named. Cool, but oddly named. And a great place to see Why Why Not, because any place is a great place to see Why Why Not. Yeah, I think we should go. We should definitely do it. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at the TheRushCast. Email Jerry, let him know what you thought of our conversations with Mr. Max Mobley and Tim Starachi, therushcast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro and outro. He always does, and he's always great. Jerry always has a quote, and it's always great. And it will be tonight, I hope. It is. It's great. This is the best one ever. It's a Rush quote. How could it not be great? (laughs) Truth is, after all, a moving target. Hairs to split and pieces that don't fit. How can anybody be enlightened? Truth is, after all, so poorly lit. Brilliant. Thanks, Jer. All right. See you later.